Welcome to Conversations of Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Well, welcome to our new edition of the podcast. I'm with Michelle DeBrain, who has uh, joined us all the way from Cape Town, South Africa. And so how are you doing today, Michelle? Good, thank you. It's a cold, wintry day in our part of the world, but it's lovely to be chatting to you. So I'm just going to dive right in here and uh, kind of ask the pandemic questions. So how how is the the pandemic kind of affecting you and, and your role these days? Uh, yeah, we, so we're working uh, virtually from home at the moment and my work involves a lot of multi-stakeholder process work and we're doing a lot of work with cities at the moment um, on behalf of our national treasury so there's a lot of work that we becoming involved in also around trying to help the cities think about their response economic response and the post covid whatever that means uh economic recovery uh so that's that's shifting our work a little bit to try and be useful and valuable um, to our clients in the time in this time, and it's it's challenging because also their headspace. People are are having to deal with really urgent crisis responses, both directly in their organisations and also in their partnerships. So it's quite tricky. Even if you have valuable support to offer, sometimes they don't even have the headspace to engage with what you could offer. Um, and I think people are also reaching sort of saturation level with all the virtual engagements and the virtual interactions um, and having to adapt really, really quickly. Like all our clients are having to try and adapt very quickly, which is, is not how we, we're all used to working. So <laughs> it's very interesting times. There's an opportunity there as well. I mean, for our, because um, we mostly work um, either directly in the public sector or so in, in the government sector and in, across all levels or with groupings of people, you know, groupings of um, both where it's the government sector trying to work with the private sector and civil society and academia trying to all work together. And so there is an opportunity in this time to really change the way that people are working with each other um, and to find new ways of working that and let go of things that weren't serving them anymore, which maybe they had been holding on to. Um, so for example, um, electronic, uh, e-government and e-service delivery and the way that procurement meetings happen <laughs> and all of these things there's an opportunity there to 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 really start innovating which is which is hopeful in the so midst you, of all of the pandemic <laughs> I, I i guess it what jumps into my mind is is kurt lewin's model and that first step of unfreezing that so do you, it sounds mm. like in a lot of unfreezing and and a lot of fluidity around the possibilities mm. of change and new processes. Yeah, one of the interesting things, actually, ironically, we were talking about um, over the weekend is whether there is a refreezing and <laughs> on the other end, or whether that model is not appropriate in this time, um, given that I think most people's expectation now is that the, the level of uncertainty that's going to carry on is going to be unprecedented. So we may have to continue to be agile for a long time and it can't be just okay um, and we were talking about this notion of the new normal um, 
and that maybe there is no new normal. <laughs> There's just constant, constant shifting that you're going to have to adapt to. So that is, that is also something I think people are slowly, well, many of our clients, certainly, I think they're slowly coming to terms with this and the whole notion of, can you have a three-year plan or a five-year plan? Or do you have to, you have to say that's not workable anymore, that we just have to try and head in a direction and adapt, <laughs> adapt as, the, as the context changes. Uh, that we need to stay relevant. And I think for corporates and for small businesses, it's even more the case that no one really knows how consumer behavior is going to keep shifting or affordability is going to keep shifting um, or the, you know, the sort of patterns of how people are going to be making their choices. And that could be, that could be, you know, during this year and next year and the years ahead that could manifest in lots of different ways. So, I think that my, my sense is that there isn't going to be a refreeze. That's, that's my working hypothesis at the moment for, for uh, most yeah, organizations, I, if, they're going to, if they're going to keep going. I, I love that, that perspective. And maybe, maybe instead of the refreezing, what, what we'll see is, I guess I'm thinking like a, a handful of clay or Play-Doh that it's mm. not a liquid, it's not the unfrozen, but it's certainly not frozen. And so it's very malleable, shape-shifting, and mm. yeah, that change, change in fluidity becomes the new normal. Mm. And I think there is also a reassessment of what's important um, within organizations and in society more widely. And I think that is going to be interesting for how organizations respond to that. You know, do you say, no, you know, we have to cling to what we saw is important or you're going to say no you know this is really reasserting certain values and saying other things or, or practices procedures probably even more so you know why why did we have all these things that we did did they really make a difference and you know do we trust do we trust our employees for example i think that's come up a lot now if you if you, everyone more and more people are uh, certainly in professional services and so on are working remotely and you know what does loyalty mean, for example, in this in this context where um, you know maybe income is not certain, as an example. You know how do we treat our, the, the the boundary, the, the organisation, the closest to us, and those in our wider circle? And one of the big conversations that's happening here is around solidarity, and you know who do we who do we care for? Is it just the immediate immediate or do we care for our communities and our um, those around us in a different way versus just saying you know i'm just looking after <laughs> this little small circle that that surrounds me so that'll be interesting to see as well how people respond to that mm. yeah the, the the blur the blurring of of kind of organizational boundaries mm. yeah and i i like that it's it's kind of like um when everything's stripped away, what remains is what is really valued. And that reprioritizing and um, yeah, I think redefining trust, like you talked about mm. um, people working from home and telecommuting. Um, I, I think a funny example that comes to mind is, is some of the states um, right after the kind of the pandemic hit and they were trying to shift of, you know, how do we, you know, drive-throughs and restaurants, and 
they were, some of the states were allowing um, drive-through um, alcohol sales. So mm -hmm. you, could, you could go to your favorite restaurant, drive through and get a big margarita to take home. And that would have just been unheard of before the pandemic, other than, other than Louisiana. <laughs> but, um, but, but it's amazing. It's like, well, you know what? They could, they'll probably will take it home. They're probably not going to go out on the highway and, and drink that. And so yeah, that, that, that level of trust or um, just kind of shifting of, of what we focus on. Mm. I think there's a, I mean, the flip side is there's a danger of people retreating into fear, fear-based responses, obviously, or scarcity-based responses and not being open to, to seeing what might be coming around the corner and where the possibilities might be. Because I think, yeah, if, you, if you're acting out of that fear and scarcity, I think you probably make very different decisions. <laughs> Are you seeing opportunities? Mm. Are you seeing from your clients more a fear-based and scarcity response, or more of a, a possibilities? Uh, That's an interesting question. It's a mix. Some of our direct um, clients, for example, um, are seeing the opportunities. And uh, for example, in the in the public sector, there's a lot of conversation around: Can we have a more just and inclusive economy? And can we use this shock to the system to try and um, help the system move to something that's more just and inclusive. But on the other hand, I think a lot of people are struggling to find headspace to really reflect and make thoughtful decisions. So uh, sort of, you know, more widely in the system. And so I do have a little bit of a concern that they may, maybe not necessarily from a fear place, but from a, I have to make a decision right now place, <laughs> that, that maybe they're not um, becoming, you know, that, that whole con description about the, you know, the, the intervention is dependent on, on the internal state of the intervener. I think um, that maybe some people are, are acting out of this incredible urgency to do something right now. Yeah, it's almost like a panic mode. Mm. That, that. And yeah, we we the, one of our um, one of the people that we're working with in this wider process made a very interesting comment because she said we were in a crisis before, but we didn't recognize the crisis, and this is just because it's declared a disaster has allowed us to to do certain things, but. For example, in South Africa, unemployment was out of control. Our inequality was out of control. The capability of local government to function effectively and deliver infrastructure and services was totally suboptimal in many cases. Um, so, but that was not acknowledged as a crisis <laughs> in the same way that this is being acknowledged as a crisis. Yeah, and I think that- Which that is also India interesting on, um, you know, whether it's the, the realization, I guess, what makes that realization possible for organizations? Yeah, what, what has to take place for that, um, that perspective to change or the, or the reality to be more, uh, more exposed? Mm. Maybe. Yeah, and, and some people are saying, obviously, this, the nature of a pandemic, it's almost like a visceral thing that people react to at almost like a cellular level to see the threats of it and the immediate threat to their survival. 
whether it's their immediate health survival or their immediate income survival. But we're not as good at recognizing it, I think, when it's the thing coming down the road. Um, I mean, the obvious example is, for example, and I know this may be controversial in the States, but climate change, our relationship with environment, environment and nature, whether we consumers or restorers, um, we're not, many people are not yet seeing that as something that's imminently threatening our survival, as an example. Yeah, I think that in some circles, they're starting to connect the dots that a lot of these things are interrelated. Mm. And um, which I, which I really em embrace and think that it's, it kind of echoes what in our field we talk about, you know, the systems perspective and the interconnectedness and the interdependence. Mm. And I think maybe, maybe one way instead of the, the, you know, the pandemic changing organizations, it's really exposing a lot of our, mm. a lot of our systems. Yeah, that's a great, I've heard that um, described, used to describe that word exposed to describe certainly in South Africa, what it's surfacing about the nature of our society. And I think that's very interesting to also apply that to what it will expose to within an organization. Um, and one interesting thing that I also heard about was some research that had been done before about um, people, people's perceptions of whether their work was meaningful and valuable and that a lot of people prior to this were really doubting whether their work had meaning or value or was sort of almost nonsensical in a way, the things that they were having to do. And I think that's also being surfaced for people, you know, what, what, is, what is really important in their work and, and who's doing an important job. And I, I hope, I certainly hope that there will be a reassessment of the value of, of roles that have, you know, been um, not noticed in organizations or just, or devalued in terms of how they were recognized. Yeah, um, I think that, yeah, especially in the early days of the lot of the, you know, of the kind of the shutting down and the social distancing, the, the roles of pe that we depended upon, that our whole lives depended upon were hmm. some of the lowest paid um, hmm. occupations and ones that are not seen as really critical to um, society. And you know, just a lot of them seen as undesirable jobs, and and suddenly, mm. suddenly we were all depending upon those roles, and hopefully mm. that'll create, hopefully that'll create some longer term shift, but um, in perspective and and awareness, but um, time, mm. time will tell. Yes, definitely, it could just people could revert, <laughs> or there could be a could be a shift. Yeah, so that'll I, be I, interesting. Yeah, and I guess for your for your um, for your students, I think it's also a very interesting question about you know what will the future is this going to shift the future of what organizations are and what how they measured, for example, you know how do we measure success and sustainability and viability and um, is it going to be as short term? Is it going to be as for Sydney for for the you know the private sector is it going to be as focused on just profit or are people going to be looking at other things like well-being or um you know care those kind of things it'll be very interesting to see yeah we can we can hope that it that it um, brings up those perspectives um i uh, 
I saw something on, on social media this last week that said, uh, to all you uh, um, epi epidemiologists and, and um, people that work with, with viruses, infectious disease, uh, welcome to our world, sign the climatologists. Yes, well, <laughs> very interesting. Yeah, the, the, the other thing that came up a little bit in a, in a conversation I was having the other day was also how people who are wanting to enter the OD field, um, which may be also relevant for, for your audience, you know, are, are jobs going to be called OD jobs? <laughs> or are we going to have to be quite creative around finding where the need for OD is within the yeah. system? And it may not be called an OD job. But there is a feeling, certainly we, you know, we're discussing it in IOTA about if there were even the need for our kind of skill set and our ways of seeing and our ways of convening and connecting and um, facilitating process, then surely this is the time for it. But whether people are going to call it that is a big question. <laughs> yeah, kind of a, what I've referred to in the past, maybe uh, guerrilla OD. Mm. Or, 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 you know, or doing OD without a license. Mm. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I imagine that's going to take some, some creativity from people to, to be able to see that in the and, and create the space for it. You know, if you're in an IT role or a strategy, you know, I mean, strategy is maybe a little bit easier, but if you're in some kind of role which that is not what people directly had in mind to, to, to find ways. Um, and, and not be frustrated by it as, as well, you know, too. So was your role prior to the app, um, pandemic, were you pretty much always face-to-face -face with your clients? Mostly. So um, not all of our clients are based in the place in Cape Town where we live. So, but generally speaking, a lot of our interaction with them would be face-to-face. And most of our process facilitation work would have been face-to-face. -face. So if we were providing support, um, you know, doing team coaching, doing um, process, process work to try and get people on board on, on how they were going to develop co-design co a strategy or policy or implement something together. And a lot of our work is not internal to one organization. It's trying to get multiple organizations to, to work together, which is a very interesting um, dynamic. So yeah, we've had to try to adapt. And one of the things that's also quite interesting that we're trying to work with is this, which I hadn't really thought about before, but the difference between virtual interaction, which is meeting based and what, I think someone referred to as asynchronous uh, cooperation, virtual cooperation. So we're using other platforms where you can brainstorm together, you can work together, you can build on ideas, you can question, but you're not necessarily having to do that within a meeting context. And, and in some ways that can also level the playing field, you know, it's made it easier for some of our colleagues who are in different places to be part of processes all on the same basis. They're not the poor person who's not in the room, for example. Um, but there are challenges. So for example, some of our work, um, we work in West Africa and Central Africa, and there's less of a, a history of working virtually. And there's a lot of cultural dynamics around hierarchy and 
um, authority and also practicalities around reliability of internet access and and other things like that. So that's something we're still trying to explore how if we have to be in a situation where for example our borders for flights are still closed and we can't deliver that work remotely is it practical or do we have to redefine what we can do um, and i think many people are going through that process in our field and i get the feeling also many people um, independent od consultants are really struggling with the commercial aspect of that, whether people attribute the same value to a virtual process as they do to a physical process and whether they're willing to to pay in the same way for for that. Um, yeah, so still to be to be developed, I think, for most people. If anyone's got the answer to that, I would I would love to know. You know, if you're trying to do a we were supposed to be doing sort of an 80 to 100 person multi-stakeholder co-development of a strategy framework. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to do that. Yeah, how, how do you virtually. hold a, um, how do you hold a virtual world cafe? Mm. Yeah, so we, we've done a lot of, um, peer, since the lockdown, we've done quite a few peer learning sessions and have managed, for example, managed to make them quite interactive using a combination of you know virtual meeting platforms and virtual whiteboards and some of our colleagues are also using um, in parallel with all of that also using audio video whatsapp um, to create multiple levels of interaction between people and even doing um, you know we used to use learning journeys i don't know if you're familiar with those but where people would go and have a joint experience or dialogue walks where you have pairs of people having reflective conversations. Um, so one of our colleagues is experimenting with how you do that uh, without being in the same place. And I must say, I've been very impressed with the, I don't know if you've been following at all, the Presencing Institute has been running, a, they're running a sort of 14, I think 14, 16 week process um, with sessions, which they have a huge team involved is in. Of, is that the one out of India? Um, no, I think um, mostly I think they're based in the States, but they, they're calling it the Gaia process global activation of something, something action. We'll have to find that for your, for your write-up. But um, they've been very creative in kind of create a, a space which has the feeling of gathering in that way. And they're using art and live music performance and graphic capturing and social resonance, um, imaging, social presencing theater, all sorts of very ways where it's not just a head, like just having people's heads in the room, but trying to have their, their hearts and their bodies together. So I think there are people who are, who are pushing the envelope a little bit on, you know, on what we can do. Mm. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, to counter the fear, there's there's some of these hidden opportunities that um, if 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 we have if we can take the time and, and create the space to step back, then I think we can um, begin to see some of the possibilities. Mm. But it's hard to hard to do that through the fear. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've also um, they have also used journaling, which. 
I have found, I must say, is, um, is something that I hadn't used a lot in my process work before, but there's something about helping people to just, in this time, just to to slow down, to calm their, their nervous system, <laughs> to really um, reflect at a deeper level, and even just that the thought process of writing, um, you know, that sort of process that happens in your body when you, which a lot of us don't do that much anymore, <laughs> right, with a pen. Um, that I think really can help people just get into a different space in this time. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, if you are in a place where you can be in nature, I know that's very difficult for, for many, many people at the moment, but I think that's also an opportunity to, to shift out whether people are in the panic and the fear mode and feel a bit more restored <laughs> to take action. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because, you know, prior to the pandemic, things were a lot of a lot of organizational life and life in general just kind of happened at at hyperspeed. Mm. And, you know, and and I'm re I'm reminded of what Mar Mother Teresa said about she said there's more to life than speeding it up. And mm. it's and and this pandemic has has forced a lot of it to slow down or some of it to come to a halt, and I think in a lot of ways that's uncomfortable. Mm. But when you slow down it, it definitely it and um yeah when you when you slow yeah, down and, and it forces you to to see parts of your life or parts of the organization that you didn't see before and it may not always be positive mm. yeah i was um i was sitting listening to an interview and someone raised that it was raising a lot of shadow stuff at a personal level, just because people, things that one was not paying attention to now come to the surface. And I don't know if that's happening in organizations as well. It's quite possible that things that maybe, you know, the positive is also coming to the surface where people, where things are working. And, but I would suspect also the things that have been ignored, maybe rearing their ugly heads as well. Yeah, that's that's really interesting what that what the similarities and differences may be at the individual level versus the organizational level. Mm. Well, Michelle, I have enjoyed our time today. And so I appreciate you taking time out of your uh, day to chat with me and I uh, wish you well, hope to see you at uh, one of the next international conferences. And um, yeah, I appreciate your time and stay safe, wash your hands. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jim, and, and to you as well. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Conversations of Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening.